As you can see, we're continuing this series, this overview of the Bible. Long story short, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to do an overview of the whole Bible. So often we come to the Bible in, in chunks, in sections, and it doesn't really make sense. Imagine diving into a movie halfway through and you're trying to figure out the plot and what fits where. And so far, we've looked at the great story of creation, the promise to Abraham around 2100 BC, the promise to give him and his people land. And then we jumped about 650 years in one week uh, to the time when the, uh, the Israelites were, they found themselves in Egypt, they found themselves persecuted, and so the exodus took place from Egypt to take them uh, to their land. Uh, this week, it's a bit easier on us. We're not going to trek 650 years. We're going to trek about eight weeks after the exodus to Mount Sinai and the story of the Ten Commandments, covenant, the covenant-keeping God. So let's dive in and have a look at Exodus chapter 6 and verse 5. Special greetings to our lovely, lovely friends in, t uh, in traditions who uh, join us now. Great to have you with us again today. Exodus chapter 6 verse 5, God says, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with mighty acts of judgment I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And then we jump to Exodus chapter 20, the preface comment to the so-called Ten Commandments, which is often forgotten. And when you forget this comment, this verse, as you see, as you'll see, uh, everything doesn't quite make so much sense. This is so important. And so the beginning of Exodus 20, and God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It, uh, it really caused quite a stir and it only happened just 12 days ago. It was one comment made on the ABC show The View. The View. It's, uh, it was a comment that so many people found offensive that 25,000 phone calls were made to the network within just a couple of days. What was it? Well, on The View, uh, Joy Bihar uh, said, attacking Vice President Mike Pence's Christian faith, she said this, and I quote, It's one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. That's called mental illness. Forget the politics. Forget the fact that the comment was addressed to the vice president. This is not about whether you're for the administration, against the administration, or are, are neutral. Let's just focus on the comment. The idea is this, quite simply, God can't talk. And if you think he can, you're unwell. That's the idea. Of course, he's obliged to listen to us, but very conveniently, he doesn't talk back. Well, I, I read that comment, and I decided to pray and then go on Facebook. 
Oh, yeah. What I should have done is pray, fast, pray, 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 and then go on Facebook. And I wrote this. Not only is this deeply disrespectful, but profoundly illogical. If Jesus is not alive and is not God, there's no point in speaking to him. You're chatting with the dead. And if he is alive, he can and does talk. The living God isn't mute. And you can say an amen if you like. It was interesting to uh, get the reactions. Thanks for the folks in the front there. That was, that was nice. As we continue this long story short, we, we see that the big story of the Bible reveals a God who is not silent, but who, who speaks. He speaks and creation comes into being. He speaks a promise to Abraham. He spoke and commanded the Exodus. And now at Mount Sinai, he isn't silent. He speaks and the Ten Commandments are given. Let me say, as we look more closely, that as we come to this episode, I want to I offer you a warning, because we come to one of the most misunderstood episodes in the Bible. And I'm going to say a few things this morning which might stir you, nay, even irritate you. And pray for me, please, because I feel like a sense of naughtiness coming on. <laughs> number one, if you're following in your program, number one, God created covenant community. God created covenant community. We are called together. You see, God says, therefore say to the Israelites, this is not just a revelation to an individual, but to a created community let's let's just join this together do you remember Genesis chapter 11 the tower of Babel or Babel that was the idea behind that was the construction of a community a humanistic community where God would be banished and God scattered that and 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 made sure that the 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 tribes if you will were scattered and right there in Genesis 12 God begins his kingdom community project through Abraham it starts in Genesis 12. And now God is speaking to a, a gathered community. More about that in a moment. But can I just say, I think we've quietly lost community generally. You're probably wondering what, what this is. And we had this amazing event two nights ago here, Celebrate Volunteers, uh, just to say thank you for our, all the amazing people that make this church work with their volunteerism and, and the whole the, this beautiful set was made the, the whole evening was based around something I think called hee-haw or some I don't think that's a book in the Bible but and I've never seen it but it was a wonderful event we wanted to show you the set but it kind of got me thinking about the big red barn I'm, I, where's that why is it red and maybe you don't wonder about these things but I'm weird, so I, I kind of did some research this week. So why, why is it red? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Tell, do your own research, but do you want to know? It's the, they mixed the paint in a particular way, and it turned out red, and then everybody thought it should be red, so it's red. It's not very deep, is it? But not only that, the barns were big, often much bigger than the houses that the farmers lived in because they had hope 
for great crops, but also the barns were gathering places. Someone has said more than just storage places, the old barns were places where children played hide-and-seek in the lofts and where hard-working men sat down at a day's end and mapped a plan for the sunrise and where neighbors gathered for a dance. I'm glad this is here because it reminds us of community which, frankly, has been lost. People, sociologists talk about the cult of the individual. It's, it's all about me. It's all about you these days rather than us. We individualize everything. I remember when I first came to America, you go out for breakfast in England and you order eggs and you get eggs. Just eggs. And I came here and the server said, how do you want your eggs? And I'm like, on a plate. I had to learn this whole new language of individualization of the chicken product. <laughs> Sunny side up, over easy, all that stuff. I had to go back to school to learn the language. We're, we're an individualistic culture and we're lonely. Half of all Americans admit they don't know the names of their neighbors. And it's not an American problem. A recent survey of 2,000 British people found that a third said they could not pick their near neighbors out in a police lineup. Now, how many know you don't really want to pick your neighbors out <laughs> in a police lineup? But famous best selling books have been written about the disintegration of community. Bowling Alone, the collapse and revival of American community, Robert Putnam. We're, we're just not likely to, to play bridge or invite friends over for dinner, not as likely as we used to. And that individualization can creep into our faith, into the way that we do life as Christians. Well, it's just me and Jesus. I, I don't need to worry too much about, about church. T.S. Eliot said, what is life if we have not life together? Can, can, I, can I get in your face for a moment? And I'm going to get in my face as well, because my job is not to, to entertain you or say things you like. My job is to be faithful to the, to the book. Yeah? Thanks for your help there. Why is it that for some of us, church is an afterthought? It's the last priority rather than the first. And I'm not talking about getting into a legalism where if you don't show up every week, God's going to kill you. I'm not talking about that. But I think we have lost the pattern of weekly coming together to declare our faith. You're saying, oh, Jeff, you're just saying that because you want to see more seats filled. My task is to be faithful to this. And the Bible tells us to not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. And I, and I want to I challenge and confront some of us and say, hey, it, it's time to, to move this up the priority list. Because I don't know about you, uh, when I come together with you, something happens to me. It's happened again today. When I, when I bless the Lord, my faith is regalvanized. But it isn't even about that, even if I got nothing from it, because this is not a fast food joint. Even if I got nothing from it, I need to be with the people of God anyway. God spoke to a gathered community that he was building. It's a challenge. All right. Secondly, God speaks to his people. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's a covenant, not a contract. This is what it is. He says, I've remembered my covenant in Exodus chapter 6, verse 5. Contracts are boring, aren't they? 
How, how many of you have ever bought a house? Raise your hand if you've bought a house. You can do this in traditions too. How many of you never raise your hand, whatever the question is from the pulpit? <laughs> how many of you, when you got to the closing, you know, you go to the closing and they bring out the documents, right? How many of you have ever read every single word of those documents? One or two of you, you definitely need to get out more. That's, 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 that's true. Uh, you, you, if you're like me, you, you got out your pen and you, you're just... You're... How many of us never tell lies? Okay. How many have got on the web and you see, I have read and understood these terms and conditions? Why don't we interrogate every word? Why don't I invite you to come to the signing when I get my new cell phone? Come with me, I've got a contract signing. Why? Because it's a contract and it's not exciting. But this is not a contract, it's a covenant. It's like a wedding. I, I like weddings. I like weddings. There's a certain predictability to weddings that I kind of enjoy. You know, you're sitting back there watching. It comes to the vows and you know that the groom is really stoic and unemotional and you're thinking, is, is he going to crack? <laughs> oh, his lip's quivering. I think he's going he's to go. And then there's those things that always happen that you know are going to happen. You know, the, the bit where the best man has to hand over the ring and they always go, oh, here it is. And everyone goes, <laughs> that's so original <laughs> and then in the reception when the when the bridegroom stands up to do the speech and says my wife and I and everyone goes Woo! that's so new I love it though because it's beautiful predictable romantic you know God uses language in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Hosea as God as husband to Israel. The New Testament speaks of Jesus as husband to his bride, the church. And that speaks of, yeah, romance and passion. This is not a cold contract. This is a, this is a, a covenant. And these commandments were given in the context of that relationship with God. Here's something really important. Don't miss it. It's often forgotten that the, the commandments are given in Exodus 20 and not in Exodus chapter 1. You say, what's that, what's that mean? In other words, the commandments were given as the Hebrews began to understand God more. They're not just set in stone. They're set in a story. And just pulling them out of that story does violence to them. So the introduction to the Ten Commandments is this. I am none other than the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is reminding them of the story and then as a result of the story calling them to a response. That's why the, our Jewish friends insist on remembering the story. In the Passover feast, the Seder, there are five cups that they have on the table, but they only drink from four of them. And each cup reminds them of the story. The first cup, God has brought us out of slavery. The second cup, God has delivered us from oppression. The third cup, God has redeemed us. The fourth cup, we are God's people. You see, the story creates a response. 
Can I put it another way? There's a therefore to the story. So in Exodus 19, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, in other words, because of the story, I call you to this. The therefore is in the New Testament as well, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Therefore. These are not just cold, emotionless statutes, but they are rooted in the story of God. Do we need to see obeying God as covenantal rather than contractual? Thirdly, thirdly, and this is quite controversial, covenant law is first for covenant people. Covenant law is first for covenant people. There are words like, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a graven image. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, let's say this. Our Western civilization is based on these principles. It's founded on these Judeo-Christian principles. Dallas Willard says, they are God's best information on how to live a basically decent human existence. All right, we get that. But sometimes Christians have argued about whether the Ten Commandments should be displayed in the courthouse. And I think at times we've missed the point. Because let me say this on biblical authority. These commandments are first and foremost covenant words for God's covenant people. Here's what Stanley Howells says. He says, the Ten Commandments are not guidelines for humanity in general. They are a countercultural way of life for those who know who they are and whose they are. Their function is not to keep the American culture running smoothly, but rather to produce a people who are in their daily lives a sign, a signal, a witness that God has not left the world to its own devices. That's why... The Ten Commandments begin with the story, I have rescued you. If we forget that, we take them out of context. That's why the first commandment is love the Lord your God. These are words for covenant people. Now, would America, would Britain, would the world be better if people lived in the spirit of the Ten Commandments? Of course. But my point is this. Sometimes, church, we have ranted at the world and we have said, you need to live like this. And instead, we should have been living like this and saying to the world, do you want to come join us? There's a difference in the message and in the tone. Let's check our example and tone. I need another kind of amen. It's one of those weekends. So, <laughs> Number four, positive covenant is positive and brings revelation, protection, and presence. Covenant is positive and brings revelation, protection, and presence. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The Jews believed that the Ten Commandments actually brought revelation about God. The 
the God that we serve embodied his character in these commands that he gave, revelatory. Also, protection from God. God is revealed here protecting his people. There's a word that the theologians used. There's salvific protection in the past, God rescuing his people. And there's preemptive protection, God rescuing us in the future. God saying, here's how to live healthy lives. This is not cold law giving. This is a father loving his children and saying, let me save you some pain. How many know that sometimes kids thinks, think that their parents don't know much? When you're 14, you, you think your parents are a little slow and a bit misguided when they say stuff. And then when you're 30, you listen to them again and you wonder how, how much they've grown in those years. <laughs> we can do that with God. Really? Really? I mean, God is interested and he cares. And he cares about everything. I'm going to make a... I'm going to quote my Jewish friends. <laughs> Here we go. They have a saying, any God who won't tell you what to do with your pots and pans and genitals isn't worth worshipping. Some of you are going, did he say that? <laughs> did he just mispronounce Gentiles right then? <laughs> no, he didn't. And you might say, can you say that in church? I just did. I just did. And I can say it in church because it says it in the book. Sometimes we haven't said things in church because we're a little embarrassed or is it inappropriate? If it's in the book, we need to talk about it. God is not someone distant he's promising his presence he's not the prohibitionist the cosmic killjoy the distant rule giver the party pooper I had a friend of mine an English friend come to America and he heard this phrase party pooper and he thought it meant someone who really loved parties which is the reverse of what it means right he went back to England and started using the phrase hey I'm a real party pooper he's kind of proud of himself God is not a party pooper that's why the Jews love the law. Psalm 119, how I love your law. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Again, let's slow down here. Have we said to God, you, you just don't understand and why are you messing with my fun? When God is the loving Father who wants to bring revelation and protection and presence. Number five, Number five, true relationship with God always affects relationship with others. True relationship with God always affects relationship with others. Look at this with me. The first four commandments are about relationship with God. And then there's a transition. The fifth is about honoring parents, which can be difficult, let's face it, in some situations. And then the next five commandments are about how we treat each other. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. If our relationship with Jesus doesn't affect the way we treat others, there's something wrong. Anyone ever met a mean Christian? They're out there. I travel and preach 
I know. Sometimes I get into trouble as a preacher. No, I hear you cry. <laughs> I said something one place and I got a message. This lady's really upset with something you said. And she said, uh, would you call her? So I thought, yeah. So I called this lady. I said, hi, Jeff Lucas here. She said, hello. Well, this is going to be fun. I said, I understand you're offended at something I said. She said, yes. I said, uh, what was it? She told me. I said, oh, that's a misunderstanding. Let me, can, may I explain that for you? And she said, yes, but don't you think I'm going to agree with you? Oh, so you've already decided you're not going to agree with me. So I explained it. I said, does that make sense? She said, oh, okay, yeah. She said, actually, I wasn't even there. It was my husband. He came home and told me. So I, I said, oh, so you weren't there, but you were offended on behalf of your husband. You're helping him out. And she said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. I said, are we good now? She said, yeah. She said, but I'm a very kind person, but let me tell you, I am never going to come and hear you preach again. And slammed the phone down. And I'm like, she very piously thought she was doing God a favor. Our relationship with Jesus should affect the way we treat others. I'm not sure whether I should say this, but I think I will. So this is... <laughs> this is just between me and you, so lean forward slightly. Lean, lean forward. In traditions, lean forward. Lean, lean forward. Some of you are going, I will not lean forward. <laughs> We've had the 4th of July. Don't you come over here and tell us about our posture. Lean forward. Get over it. I've, in my travels, I've been around pastors who are sweetness and light on Sundays. And then you, after the service, you go to the restaurant to eat their chicken with them. And here comes the server, and she doesn't go to the church, and the pastor is mean. He is a buzzard. He is nasty. And I want to say, what, what happened? Now, I don't say this in an accusatory manner. We can all be inconsistent but if our relationship with Jesus doesn't affect the way we treat the person in the drive-through there's something missing true relationship with God always affects relationship with others you can sit back now those 10 of you that lean forward <laughs> just kidding number six covenant with God is for our lifetime Covenant with God is for our lifetime. I understand that in Mexico City, they've been studying a proposal to make marriage licenses temporary. Do not say amen at this point. And the idea is that after two years, they dissolve automatically. You have to renew them. Linnell Luna, uh, a, an assemblyman, says the proposal is if the relationship is not stable or harmonious, the contract literally ends. It's avoidable agreement just temporary thing here's a question can Christianity be a temporary thing is it possible to give your life to Jesus but then incrementally slowly unconsciously gradually take it back and you don't have to do some lurid sin to, to do this you just have to take control again. Listen to James 4 in the message. 
And now I have a word for you who brashly announced, today at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business, make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog, catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, make it a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. You know what that is? That's giving your life to Jesus, but gradually taking it back. And I can speak to this with experience. Because in my history, I have made decisions that I rushed into without proper consultation and submission. I've done it. And it didn't go well. So Holy Spirit, have we given our lives to Christ? And in some ways, incrementally taken them back and could this even be a moment to say, oh, Lord, sorry, I run around. And it's not that God is against planning. It's about an attitude rather than being strategic. It's a lifetime thing, this covenant. Well, number seven, finally, God has cut a new covenant with us through Christ. God has cut a new covenant with us through Christ. We've all messed up when it comes to the Ten Commandments, but there's a new covenant. You might think that's strange language, Pastor Jeff. Cut a covenant. It's, it, it comes from a word, berith, Hebrew word that occurs 280 times in the Old Testament. To cut a covenant. Here's what they would do. They would, they would uh, take animals and the, they, they would make a, a lane, the smaller animals. And then the larger animals, they would cut them in half. And, and they would lay them at the edges of the lane. And then they would walk through the lane. And they would cut a covenant. And the idea was this. May I be cut in half if I break my word. It's a very vivid, terrible picture. And Christ came. And he said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, Matthew 5. And his body was cut as they lacerated his back, as they crucified him. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I told you about the Passover feast, the Seder. Five cups. The first cup, I will take you out. The second cup, I will save you. The third cup, I will redeem you. The fourth cup, I will take you as a nation. And the fifth cup, stays on the table. Nobody drinks it. It's called the cup of Elijah. Some call it the cup of wrath, based on Jeremiah 25. The host of the feast will go to the door and open it and call down the wrath of God upon the world. It's also thought of as the cup of redemption. In the Gospels, Jesus shared the Passover before he went to the cross. And we know, we know he drank the four cups. Because after the fourth cup in the Passover feast, they would sing the Hallel hymn. And the Gospels tell us that they shared the feast. And then it says, and when they'd sung a hymn, he went out and he went to Gethsemane. So we know exactly what he did that night. He just drank four cups or from four cups. And then in Gethsemane, 
I've been there and seen the twisted trees, the trees almost prophesying the agony and the struggle. He said, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He alone could take the fifth cup. And he drank it. The cup of suffering, the cup of judgment. And then he went to the cross to cut a new covenant which will enable us Ten Commandment breakers to have a new beginning, a new start. And he said, it is finished. And the curtain that kept us out of the Holy of Holies was torn in that moment from top to bottom. And then three days later, I'm getting passionate, three days later, up from the grave, he arose. The covenant work complete. And now today, as we think about covenant, we don't just do a history lesson to the Ten Commandments, but the invitation to us, to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus. The invitation right now, 9.26 on a Sunday morning, you can come into that covenant now and say, yes, forgive me. Take charge. Let's covenant together for the rest of eternity. I hand my life over to you, Jesus. And the new covenant becomes not just something you read about in a book, but something that you walk into a Sunday, beautiful Sunday in Colorado, living in. So we're going to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we gather to you and we thank you for your covenant given in in the Ten Commandments. We thank you that you are a loving Father who cares for us, not a prohibitionist with just stern, impersonal regulations, but a Father who wants us to live healthily and offers us the opportunity to live your way. Help us not only to live it, but to model it to our world that so needs Christ. I want to pause in this prayer as our heads are bowed, and it might be that some of us have been struggling with God and outright disobeying Him, thinking we know better. And it's time to come back to covenant. It's time for some of us maybe to have a takeaway from this week and be saying to God, where have I taken my life back into my own hands? Where has it been my plans rather than yours? Sometimes they intersect and God puts dreams and hopes in us and it's what we want and he's birthing that in us. Sometimes there's conflict. Let's make sure our lives are still in his hands for lifetime. But finally, as our heads are bowed, I talked about the opportunity to enter into the new covenant. A follower of Jesus is someone who's decided to do that and then is living in that. And if you're not a Christian right now, 
I want to give you the opportunity to make that step, to step into that covenant. This is big. It is huge. So here we go. If you're ready, come with me. I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of covenant. It's a prayer making a step to open your life to God, to hand over your life. You're not just asking for his help or his blessing. You're saying, God, here's my life now. I'm, I'm done with just trying to run it myself, my own way. I want to live it your way. Help me. Take charge. So here's the prayer. Are you ready to whisper it in your heart? Lord, I've heard of your love. I want to know it. At this moment, 929 Sunday morning, here in Colorado, I make this covenantal decision. Take charge. Forgive me my sins. Be king of my life. Show me your way. Empower me by your spirit. Help me to live for you and with you. I make this step in response to you. I make it now. Let's keep our heads bowed for one moment longer. If you just prayed that prayer in your heart because you're stepping into that covenant, I want to ask you to do something very simple. It's just a declaration. As our heads are bowed, if you just did that, as I look around, would you just slip up your hand and hold it there, please, for a moment? Do it right now, wherever you are. And I'm seeing people over here in the middle and over there on the right and over there on the left and people around the place and I'm sure perhaps people in traditions as well. You can lower your hands. How wonderful to see you stepping into that glorious new covenant. Reveal yourself to each one we pray, Father, and help us to help them, we agree. In Jesus' name, everyone said,